Well, it's a great joy to be here with you this evening. Um, one of the things with having the three priests now is, right, there's a rotation, and so we don't get to see you probably as often as we'd like. One of the nice things uh, about the rotation I have this week is this is actually the only Mass I have for today, so I got to sleep in, which 99% of priests never get to sleep in on Sunday, so I definitely took advantage of that this morning. I was praying about these readings all week, and I must say that I was a little intimidated by them. Today's readings are all about divorce. And I was intimidated because I didn't want to preach about divorce. I said, God, anything but divorce. What do you want me to preach on? But he kept saying, this is what I've given you in the readings. Preach about what I give you. It's not always the best decision to preach about controversial topics, especially when I'm in my first year here. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, this is what the Lord and the church has given for us today. And so I just preface that. This was not um, my first choice that I wanted to preach about, I guess, uh, divorce, but yet it's what the church asks us to meditate on today. Divorce is hard. It's challenging. All of us probably know people who are divorced. And the struggle, the suffering that can come from that. Some of us may come from divorced families. Some of us know people who are divorced. Some of us may have children parents, friends, family who are divorced, and the devastation that we've seen this cause. Some of us ourselves may even be divorced. And again, the sufferings that this may cause. Before I dive into that, I want to focus and zoom in a little bit on our first reading here, because Jesus, in today's gospel, quotes part of our first reading today. Our first reading comes from Genesis 2, so we have the creation story. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1, this beautiful mosaic, this beautiful image, this beautiful painting of the way God brings about creation. The beauty of creation, right? And we hear in Genesis 1, God's creation in six days and how he says it is good. It is good. Our stained glass windows up here are about the six days of creation. It is good. And then on the sixth day, God creates man and woman. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God saw all that he had made on the sixth day, and behold, it was very good. God sees the beauty of creation, the crown jewel of creation, male and female, specifically female. He saves the best for last. He looks at all of it, and he says, it is very good. 
then today, how does God speak in our first reading? How does he start us off? Then the Lord God said, it is not good. It is good, it is good, it is good. And now he's saying it is not good. It is not good for what? It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So what does God do? First, he makes animals and creatures. I will make him a helper fit for him. So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to him to see. And then Adam, the man, which what's interesting is that Adam and Eve aren't named until after the fall which would be a whole different homily in itself. But we have Adam here naming the different animals and birds and, and all the creation that God says is good. But for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. They say dogs are man's best friend, right? Father Brian loves dog, but dogs, but I told him he's not allowed to get a dog, so. The animals that God creates weren't a suitable helper for Adam. So God creates Eve from the rib, from the side of Adam. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he took while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with the flesh. I like to just briefly put in a parenthetical statement here because when I was first praying with these readings, this is what really captured my attention. From the side of Adam is the birth of woman. Just as from the side of Christ, from that rib, is the birth of the church, where blood and water flowed forth from the cross. And just as God puts Adam in a deep sleep and does this amazing work to create woman, to create Eve out of him, so too sometimes God has to put us to sleep to work on us as well. Just as the Surgeon, the anesthesiologist, has to put someone under for a beautiful thing to take place. An amazing surgery, the most delicate work that a surgeon does is when someone is asleep. Adam goes asleep so God can do this beautiful work. Sometimes in our lives, God has to put us asleep to do amazing things in our hearts, in our lives. Jesus is asleep in the boat, and the storms of life are crashing on the apostles in that boat. Jesus is asleep. Sometimes it feels as if Jesus is asleep in our own hearts. But those are precisely the moments where Jesus is closest to us, where he's doing his most delicate surgeries, his most delicate work, his most delicate healings in our lives. So that's the parenthetical statement. So Eve comes from the rib. 
in the middle, next to the heart, not the head, not the foot, showing a co-equality of man and woman. Then Adam, after he sees all these animals, he then sees woman for the first time. He sees Eve. And what does he say? He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then Genesis goes on to say this, and this is what Jesus quotes today. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. This happens before the fall. The plan for marriage, that man and woman are called to cling to one another, that two become one. And the beauty of this, right? The symbol of marriage pointing ultimately to God and what he wants to do with us. That God wants to come into our hearts, come into our lives, and espouse himself to each one of us. An image for the church as well. Jesus, the bridegroom, the church, his bride. And this is why Jesus quotes it the original plan for marriage. The Pharisees come to him and they start testing him. They they like to try to entrap him, to trick him. And so today the question is, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus says, well, what did Moses command you? Right? Moses allowed for a man to write a certificate of divorce and to put her away. But Jesus responds, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote that. But from the beginning of creation, it was not so. And then he quotes that verse from Genesis. God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no one put asunder, let no one separate. The marriage covenant is an indissoluble bond that binds a man and woman together that cannot be separated. And Jesus teaches us that today. And this is something that the church has continuously taught. I want to make it clear, though, that for those who are divorced, the church loves them and reaches out to them, continuing, continuously calling them into God's love and mercy. But the church will continue to invite those who are divorced and remarried invite them deeper into the church as well. What therefore God has joined together, let no one put asunder. What happens next? The disciples go into a house. It's just the disciples with Jesus in a house. 
And in the house, the disciples asked him again about this matter. Think of the disciples saying, Jesus, are you sure this is the case? What about the Mosaic law? What about Moses? This is a hard teaching. Surely you can't be serious. And Jesus in the house turns up the heat, turns up the language. Before I read this next part, what he says, though, I just want to say that the house that they're in with the apostles is a symbol for the church. And I think this homily is meant for those who are walking with Jesus, who have a prayer life. But maybe if you haven't been to church in a while, this homily is not meant for you. But for those who are in that house, who are pursuing Jesus, who are in relationship with him, with the apostles in that house, Jesus says to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, adultery against her. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. Again, this is where the teaching of the divorce and marriage and divorce and remarriage comes from. And just a brief statement about an annulment, because I think annulments are often misunderstood as just a simple, cheap way of a Catholic divorce. That's not what an annulment is. An annulment is a decree of nullity to say that this marriage never actually happened. It's not a Catholic divorce. It's to say that this marriage never took place. And I invite those who may have had an annulment or may struggle with what the church teaches on an annulment uh, to talk, to ask a priest, to ask someone, what does this mean? What does this mean for my kids, for their kids? Those are important questions. But in that house, Jesus turns up the language, turns up the heat, because he wants to make it clear. I want to read for you a quote from John Paul II from one of his encyclicals, Familiaris Consortio, on the family. And he talks about the beauty of that bond, the indissolubility of marriage. And this is what he says. It is a fundamental duty of the church to reaffirm strongly the doctrine of the indissolubility of marriage. To all those who in our times consider it too difficult or indeed impossible to be bound to one person for the whole of life. And to those caught up in a culture that rejects the indissolubility of marriage and openly mocks the commitment of spouses to fidelity. It is necessary to reconfirm the good news of the definitive nature of that conjugal love that has in Christ its foundation and strength. The Lord continues, the church continues to reaffirm the beauty of this indissolubility, this indissoluble bond between man and woman. Harkening back to that first commandment, male and female, he created them. Be fruitful and multiply. When the two become one, 
when the two become one flesh, that, that unity, that bond, cannot be broken, cannot be separated. I want to close with going back to our opening prayer, the collect. The collect at Mass, that prayer that the priest prays at the chair, or in this case with no server at the altar, the collect is the prayer that invites all the faithful, all those present, to be collected by the priest, collected in order to send one prayer of unity up to the Father. And if you're anything like me, Oftentimes we come to Mass and the readings, the prayers, go in one ear and out the other. And so I want to read the Collect for today. Almighty, ever-living God, who in the abundance of your kindness surpassed the merits and the desires of those who entreat you, pour out your mercy upon us to pardon what conscience dreads, and to give what prayer does not dare to ask. Pour out your mercy upon us to pardon what conscience dreads. What is your conscience dread? What's burdening, what's burdening your conscience right now? Maybe there's places in your heart that need healing. Maybe it has to do with divorce, wounds of divorce. Maybe it has to do with other things that are on your heart right now. What is Jesus inviting you to bring to him today? Have mercy on us, O Lord, to pardon, to heal, to forgive what our conscience dreads, what we're ashamed, what we're embarrassed, what we're, we don't like to talk about. Those burdens of our conscience and to give what prayer does not dare to ask. What are you afraid to ask in prayer? Jesus wants to pour out his mercy upon you, upon us tonight, to forgive what conscience dreads, that we might have the grace and the, to not be afraid to ask in prayer, to ask boldly for Jesus to heal us, to heal our hearts. So my brothers and sisters, as we approach this altar tonight to receive him, may we bring all our burdens, whatever is burdening our conscience, to lay them at the foot of the altar for him to transubstantiate, for him to transform, to bring healing in our lives. Pour out your mercy upon us, O Lord, to pardon what conscience dreads.